So on that note, would you open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel, pardon me, the book of Romans and chapter 8. Yes, you can put your finger in chapter 8. We're going to be in chapter 8 for the most part this morning. I'm going to read the text for today, the first eight verses. We did look at the first two in conclusion last week, but we need to hear them again in context. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to dive into our word today in our new series, Life and Liberty in the Spirit from Romans chapter 8. Read with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. But by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, flesh cannot please God. Pray with me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, once again, uh, we thank you so much. We thank you for everything, Lord. Um, In all these things, in all these days, the one thing that we can say and we need to say, even when we feel it's hard, we thank you. I thank you for everything that you're bringing into my life, into the life of our church family, into the lives of people we love. We thank you. And the only reason why we can do that, Lord, is because we know how much you love us. And you don't seek any of these things for our harm, but for our good. So, Lord, I pray today, Holy Spirit, I pray, help me. Help us to hear these words written by the Apostle Paul so many years ago, but Holy Spirit, inspired by you, Lord Jesus, a result of what you've done. So, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, please, I pray this morning, teach us from these words. Take whatever thoughts I have and put them aside so that your thoughts can come through clearly. And I pray this thing, these things, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. Amen. Amen. So, as a prelude to our series last Sunday, uh, I took us back into chapter 7 just to get us caught up on the context. And we saw this incredible story, right? I mean, we, we saw where the Apostle Paul, this man who at the point where he's writing these words is somewhere around 25 years into his walk in faith with Jesus Christ, a dramatic salvation story of a previous Pharisee who was going about killing Christians, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. His life is completely changed. Hang on. Completely changed. And yet 25 years later, He's lamenting in chapter 7 that he doesn't understand what's going on with himself. He's confessing that he he knows exactly what he should be doing. He knows. He's got communication with Jesus Christ. He's been living it out. He's planting churches. He's writing epistles and letters, including this one, to the church in Rome. And he knows what he should be doing every moment of every day. And he confesses, I'm not doing it. What's wrong with me? 
And then he also confesses that there are things that he knows that he no longer should be doing, that he knows are, are sinful and should be put away. And yet he confesses. He says, I'm still doing them. Oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> so he confesses these things as a Christian. And yes, he knows clearly. I've been, I've been emphasizing that more so than ever before. Uh, and, and since knowing Christ, he knows what those things are. And that's important for us to remember today as we will look at our text. But on top of that, the opposite is also true for him. Now that he knows the good things that he should be doing well, he's not doing them. And as I said last week, you can feel the frustration in his voice. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing that he's frustrated with himself to a point. To a point. So as I hope we learned last week, this should be encouraging to you and I, right? Uh, Actually, it's only encouraging. Listen, I thought about this this week. It's only encouraging to you and to I, myself, you, all of you who are listening, if you and I can confess the same thing that he's confessing, then it's encouraging. If you don't feel, or pardon me, if you don't feel the way that, yeah, Paul feels today, then maybe one of these three things might be true of you. Maybe, number one, you're not a Christian yet. If you're not sensing this, if you're not feeling this is true for you too, maybe, maybe you're not a Christian yet. Secondly, Maybe you are a Christian, however, now you're perfect. You don't have this problem at all. Hang on. Or three, you have now become a Christian legalist. (laughs) Or you are delusional, look at number two again. Right? You see, here's the point that I hope you will see today and from last week. The Christian life is truly amazing. Or at least it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. But it will only be amazing if and when you and I understand that it is very much related, listen, to the progress of our, yes, big word, sanctification, which is our growth and our faith and our walk with Jesus. And, and it's related to our key word for today in the text and the rest of chapter 8, which is our growth in righteousness. Righteousness. This is the key. So Paul's two concluding points then before entering chapter 8 were this. First, yes, listen, you you and I, I want you to understand our new creations in Christ. The old has passed away. You guys, if you've been in church long enough at all, you've heard all these phrases. You've heard them. You've heard them. Do you believe them? Do I believe them? The old has passed away. However, in this life, Paul wants us to know, which is true for him and is true for you and I, The old sinful nature continues to raise its ugly face. In some translations, it's called the flesh. And it still has power over us. And its desire, motivated by our enemy, is to rob you, you and I, every day of our life in Christ. That's his goal. I've said this several times in the life of our church the devil's primary goal in this world today is that everyone, if he, can, if he can cause everyone in this world to die without Jesus Christ, he wins. That's his primary goal. But here's the other. He'll actually settle for option B. And option B is that you and I continue to live this life as Christians functionally 
dead. It has two effects. One, you and I don't live the life, don't feel it, don't love Christ and grow in our righteousness. Secondly, we're not much good for the sake of the mission of sharing what Jesus has done for us to those who are lost. People look at us and go, really, this Christianity thing is good for you? doesn't seem to be. So that's his goal, is that we would not be truly living the life that Christ died to give us and the life the Holy Spirit, listen, wants to fully activate in us. So secondly, Paul concludes with these words in Romans 7, 18b, where he says, for I have the desire to do what is right. This will be on screen for you, but not the ability to carry it out. I said this last week, I'm going to repeat it. The fact that he's saying that is a sign that he is a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the sign of a Christian, is someone who can actually admit that and say that. They know what is right, he knows what is right and wrong for that matter, and he truly desires to do what is right, but he acknowledges that he, in his own strength and in his own will and power, cannot do it. 25 years a Christian. And obviously, he has the answer. And the answer who he's pointing us to is, of course, the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, who is in us, in you and I. And he's the one that we must turn to every day. He's in you. He's in me. He has the ability to activate this Christian life and this growth in righteousness in you and I. That's the goal. And that's what we learn in chapter 8. So then we arrive at verses 1 and 2, which will be on screen for you, which we looked at last week, and we'll look at briefly this morning. Again, what beautiful words. There is, therefore, now. Perfect present tense. Now. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So again, Paul's desire in the power of the Holy Spirit and what he's teaching is that we walk in the newness of life, that we truly do experience the fullness of the Christian life. I love reading stories of men and women from the past, great spiritual leaders, me, I love to read about great preachers, right? Great theologians, men and women who are theologians, great Christian lives, and and. Every time I read them, it's, it's like, and I come from a Catholic bath background, and so it can get a little confusing for me, but every time I read those stories, I'm going, now those people are saints. They're also an inspiration because they, they've grown to that point in their faith and walk. Have you met anyone like that? It's extremely encouraging. It gives me, and I hope you, a lot of hope. So the therefore, and that's why it's there, by the way, you know that, he knows that we need to not just, listen, know these things, not just have head knowledge of these things, but believe this and believe these things that we looked at. If we are ever going to get past the frustration of our own pattern of falling back into the old sinful nature. And that's the goal of these words and this text, by the way is that we we need to fully accept and trust that our Heavenly Father, with Him, now today, 
perfectly present with us, there is no more condemnation. And we saw last week it means that he will never, ever, if you are in Christ, ever reject you. Ever. No matter what you do. And that's the problem for some of us with our, our faith in God and our Heavenly Father is we, we have this impression of, a, of an earthly father and try to translate the, that to a heavenly father. If you've had a bad experience, by the way, with an earthly father, and that, that's hard. That's not our Heavenly Father. He will never reject us. He never gets angry with us. Never. Angry with us. He's never disappointed in you. Oh, I mean, I got to tell you, I don't know how many times in my life and in the past 13, 14 years as a pastor where I haven't felt like, I'm sorry, Lord, you must be disappointed in me. I didn't preach very well today. Or I didn't lead very well. I made this mistake. I did that. And I have to correct myself. Like I said to somebody, I don't know if it was here this morning or this week, you know, I need to preach the gospel that I preach on Sunday more to myself, right? Because he's not disappointed in us. And that's what Paul, Paul wants you and I to get this, and so does the Holy Spirit, so that you won't give up. The Christian life is not, as I said last week, a bed of roses. Testing and persecutions and difficulties do come. But we know this from this text. We've been set free. Like we already have been. So that's what Paul wants us really, really importantly to understand. And as again, I said last week, let me repeat it. How amazing is that? Honestly, how amazing is that? Given who I know I am or have been. Given that I know that I do what I should not be doing and don't do all the time what I should be doing. Given that, and and not only that I know that, but he knows that and sees that. Really? Given all that, he, he still loves me? Really? Why? Why does he love us like that? Well, Paul goes on in verse 3 of Romans 8 to give us the gospel, the good news. And he writes, Because, Glenn, (laughs) and the rest of you, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So again, if you're looking at your ESV translation, I changed the word for to because, because because it makes more sense, really. And it's literally the same word. It's because God did what we could not do with the law, right? So remember what we learned last week. It's important. But also, we should know and should have known these things about the law anyway. We read in verse uh, 14 of chapter 7 last week that the law is good, right? The law is spiritual. And again, those words, by the way, are present perfect tense. Some people today, and I'll look at that with you in a second, think the law, like that's that's old, like that's gone. It's not, we're not under the law, right? We're under grace. Hmm. It's an interesting statement. So God gave them, of course, the Ten Commandments, which is the primary aspect of the law, to Moses and the people of Israel to lay out his basic standard of behavior for people who um, want his approval and acceptance. This is Old Testament, right? And he lays it out. And and basically in the Ten Commandments, we we are being encouraged to do the do's and don't do the don'ts. 
don't know if that makes sense, but do the do's and don't do the don'ts, and, and, and you will then be considered perfectly righteous before God. So let's just go through them really quickly. The first commandment is, do not have any other gods before him, before our God, right? Do not do that. Do not have any other gods. There is one God. Revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Second commandment amplifies that by saying, do not have any idols, which means other gods, obviously. Giving yourself to anything, whether a carved image or anything, anything that means more to you than God himself. So don't do that. Number three, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. And why? Well, because his name is holy. His name is holy. I remember growing up in my home um, when I was Catholic and taking the Lord's name in vain, which was kind of an East Coast thing because my parents were from the East Coast, was just like, it was just, it was all over the place constantly, right? And so I grew up with it and I would do that. And, and I remember, honestly, coming to faith in Christ at 23 years of age, and, and again, not Mr. Perfect here, trust me, um, but th- there were a few things that, that God took away from me at that time, and one of those things was that, like, instantly. And I'm very grateful for that, because it was not good how many times I would take the Lord's name in vain. The other thing he did is he got me a haircut, but it's growing back. Anyway, we won't go there. Number four, here's a do for you. Do keep the Sabbath. Take one day a week and rest from, look, all your work, all your striving. Worship God and Sabbath rest. Number five, another do. Do honor your mother and your father. It's awesome. Number six, back to the do nots. Do not murder. Do not kill someone else. Now, let's also remember the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus going, hold on. Maybe you didn't completely understand that commandment because in God's economy, in God's view, if you're angry, angry, really angry with your brother or your neighbor or whoever it might be, in God's eyes, you're breaking this commandment. And then number seven is similar to that where he says, do not commit adultery, right? You know, sleeping with someone who is not your wife or your husband. And again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus expands all that and says, guys, looking at a woman with lust in your heart who's not your wife. It's the same thing. The same thing. So don't do that. Do not do that. Number eight, do not steal. Simple. Don't steal things that don't belong to you, right? And there's now an expansion of that a little bit in number nine, which is do not bear false witness or gossip or lie about someone, which is actually stealing what? It's stealing their, their name, their reputation. Through false witness, gossip, and lying, And number 10, again, another do not, the last of them, do not covet covet anything that's not yours. Don't look at what other people have that you don't have and say, hey, why do they have that? I want that. Don't do those things. Now, all of those, interestingly, are all, they both categories, the first four and the last six fall into two of the most beautiful do's that are in the scripture. The first four are are all about do this. Do love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Remember Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, the scribes, and Sadducees, hey, what, if there was a commandment was number one, if I just had to focus on one in order to be good and approved by you, which would it be? Jesus said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. And then he said, and the second is like the first, 
And it is this. It's another do, and it is this. Do love your neighbor as yourself. So now what happened, of course, is you know, both the people of Israel and you and I here today can take that, take the commandment, take the law, and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for making it so simple. (laughs) You laid it out. These are the things. Do these things. Don't do these things. And we are going to earn your acceptance and your approval. So God teaches the people of Israel, and he's teaching us through the Gospels and through the writings in the New Testament that it's actually very simple. Yes, it is, but you've got it wrong. The whole point of the law was to show you you can't do this. You can't keep my law. You are imperfect. You were born in sin. So you're going to need some help. You're going to need a lot of help. You can't keep my law perfectly. And that's what my law requires, is perfection, holiness, righteousness, in order to be in my presence. And so that is what is meant when we read there, weakened by the flesh, right? So the law was given to us, but our flesh is weak. We couldn't keep this, but here's what God did. He sent his own son, Jesus, look, in the likeness of sinful flesh. For sin and in him, Jesus, through his look, perfect, sinless life. And his perfectly keeping of the law, something that we cannot do, he, our God, condemns sin in the flesh once and for all in Christ Jesus for those who are in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite mentors in my life once said, Glenn, with Jesus, it's all a big done. It's all a big done. So again, the gospel, the good news is what you and I cannot do, Jesus did for us perfectly. And as we concluded last week, so that he could give his perfect life to us, so that he could live his perfect life in us and through us. Perfect life. That's the goal. That's the upward call in Christ, which is righteousness. But there's a twist here in the text, in verse 4. It's huge. And we need to look at this and realize what it actually means. Verse 4 says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in, look at this, us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So I have to ask, do do you understand what that means for you and I? Have you read that recently? (laughs) Have you you meditated on that statement at all recently? I I, I love going back. I've I've taught the book of Romans in adult Sunday school class in churches before, not bragging, but many, many, many times. And, and, you know, you go through it, and Romans is awesome, Romans is awesome. Yeah, this is great. And then you stop and you think about it, and you realize, oh, Lord, this is, I didn't realize that. And so I hope there's a bit of epiphany for you here today too. And so remember, our true identity fully changed, listen, when you received Christ. It fully changed when you received Christ. We are now fully righteous in God's eyes. And again, like I said last week, that's related to our position or, or, pardon me, which is already perfect. But yes, our practice is wanting for much of the time. 
So it's this, this understanding that we have to have that our position in Christ is secure. It's perfect. We're already there. We're not living it out in our practice, in our daily life like we should, but that is, again, the goal. It reminds me so much of two key verses that we looked at uh, in the Light of the World series during Advent this, this Christmas. Remember that? We looked at these two uh, sayings by Jesus, which we'll have on screen for you. The first was in John eight twelve, on screen. <laughs> Thank you. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I remember in the series going, there it is. Jesus is the light of the world. Thank you. Give him glory. Let's pray, right? We can end the story there. But no, later in the Sermon on the Mount again, in Matthew 5, 14, he says this, hold on, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So we spent four weeks trying to unpack that and understand what in the world is he getting at? What does that mean? And of course, in a nutshell, we understood that if we are in him, his light is in us. And therefore, yes, we are to be the light in this world today. So here in Romans 8, we see actually a very similar situation when we compare, again, from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 17, and 8, 4, which I've just read. Look at Matthew 5, 17. It says this, Jesus speaking, to, and again, to the Pharisees, because they're thinking, this guy, he, he's like doing away with the law. He's talking about this grace and love of God thing. And he says, hey, hey, hang on, guys. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to do that. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So as I alluded to a little later, a little earlier, pardon me, uh, some people have taken that to suggest that God or Jesus ended the law, and therefore people love to say, as I already said, therefore we are no longer under the law but under grace. And what that does is give us a lot more liberty than we probably should think we have. The law is perfectly fulfilled in Christ, and that's the intent of what we see here. So this is what God did in Christ. Jesus came and lived the perfect life, perfectly showed us what it looks like to keep the law perfectly as an image for us. And now there's this in our text today in verse 4 which is another, so that, except the words are a little different, in order that, in verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in, listen, you and me, in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So let's let that sink in for a second here. This is so important and powerful, and, and can change your life. If you're not in Christ, it, it can change your life to be in Christ, to realize this. But if you're in Christ, it, it can change the malaise that you might be feeling in your walk with Christ and what all these things mean and what's going on in our world. It can change that if we understand this. So again, Paul and the Spirit want you and I to understand that the perfect life that Jesus lived as well as his death, burial, and resurrection that con condemned sin in, the flesh, sin in the flesh, was so that, in order that, the righteous requirement of the law might be seen to be being fulfilled in you and I in our lives today. 
well, that's huge. I don't know about you, but I look at that and go, well, feel a bit of weight of responsibility? That's not the objective. It's, it's your calling. It's what we're called into. And it is the Christian life that Christ died to give to us. It's the continual progression in this part of our Christian walk in life toward a perfected, holy, and righteous life before God and before man. And so as it should be for you and I right now, the question should be, how? Hey, if you're struggling like I struggle, you've got to be asking the question, okay, hold, hold on. <laughs> you know, I might actually have it down how to live according to the flesh, if I think about it, honestly. But living according to the Spirit, how? Well, the end of verse 4 is the short answer. It's the Coles notes, as I like to say from my day and time. Uh, the short answer is walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Well, the rest of the chapter and our verses for today begin to answer that question more deeply. As a preface, let's, let's look at the whole idea of righteousness first. Now, some of you have been part of the Rock Church for some time, have heard me say uh, something like this, we all want righteousness. I've always wanted righteousness. Every human being wants to be seen to be righteous, and I think the primary reason why we want this is, whether we realize this or not, because we don't have it. <laughs> because we don't actually have it. And yet we also know, those of us who've studied the Scripture even a little bit, we know that we are created in the image of God. And even though we are born in sinful flesh, there's this residual residue of the Imago Dei in us that just makes us, like, makes us squirm when we sin, makes us, makes us actually recognize that something broken about us and, and that we actually need righteousness. However, in our world, and especially in our culture today, the prevailing belief is that what we actually need is a better self-image. Oh, I spent so many years, so many years of my life chasing after that one. We need to think more positively about ourselves. We need to know and believe that we have value, we are important, we deserve to be admired and even loved. Not all bad things. And so it's more about, listen, self-respect and self-esteem than true righteousness. Now what the Bible and Romans in particular tell us is that that is actually the wrong idea and will ultimately result if we chase down those rabbit trails and those ways of living in the same problem that Paul arrived at, which we all arrive at, which is basically the problem of guilt and shame that comes from trying to do the things we cannot do in our own strength and in our own power and end up doing the things that we know are not good for us. And even if you're a non-Christian today, you know there are things you are doing today that are not good for you. And yet, can you stop? Oh, you make resolutions. We make resolutions. So the scripture teaches us that righteousness is something actually altogether different. And the realization of this should be very freeing. In scripture, we are taught that righteousness is not something that you and I can attain. We can't earn it. We can't even learn it. It's called a gift from God. It, it, it's like, it, it's salvation. It's righteousness that the scripture is teaching us, the Christian life that God wants to grow you into, that person he wants to grow you into is a gift that is given to you. 
You can't earn it, as I said. It's a gift from God. So the moment, listen, the moment you received, again, position and practice here, the moment you received Christ, believed his name for your salvation, you received that gift fully and perfectly. You did. And that, again, is back to your position or standing versus your, your, your practice or your state. And that is why Paul could say, right? What he said in, in that verse that we read earlier, he could say this, I desire, look, I desire to do what is right, but I lack the ability to do it. So that knowledge, listen, that knowledge that Paul had when he said that is actually, again, proof that you have received the gift. If, if you can confess that like Paul confessed that, you've received that gift of righteousness. Because that's the Holy Spirit convicting you and I of our old sinful nature and our falling back into it and, and saying to you, okay, the desire is good. And the confession, you don't have the ability, is good. How about you walk in me? How about you try walking in me now? And we'll grow into this righteousness and this life together. So that's what actually chapter 8, the rest of it, but also specifically verses 5 to 8 unpacks for us in this aspect of the Christian life. And the point is this that Paul makes in these last three verses is this. Just receiving and believing Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you're going to start acting like Jesus today. Oh boy, I tell you, I, I tell people this all the time. I got saved at 23 years of age. It was kind of a dramatic thing for me in my life. And several thing ha- things happened. I stopped taking the Lord's name in vain, stopped drinking, stopped smoking, inhaling all kinds of substances. Yes, got my hair cut. And I'm telling you, for eight or nine months, I, I felt like a male version of Mother Teresa. I really did. Like I, I, just, I felt like I was just walking in this... this, this I, it, it, I mean it. Like, I just felt it. Did, have you felt that at any point in your Christian walk? And then all of a sudden, whew, this little thing popped up, and then that little thing popped up, and then we're doing that again, and then we're doing that again, and then guilt and shame, and like, what happened? Lord, what is going on? I thought I was saved. Doubt can creep in, right? So the moment you receive Christ, you receive that fully. But look, what we're seeing here is, is that We don't start acting that way right away. Who you are has fully and perfectly changed. How you act, your practice, and your state, well, yeah, that's going to take some time. It maybe helps us understand those confusing words of James, right, in his epistle where he says the words, faith without works is dead. People go, hold on. I don't work to get my salvation, but what do you get? This is what he's getting at. It's a lot of work to work with the Holy Spirit, to put off the old and live in the new. So we're not saved by works, but it is our faith that puts us to work. So we have that righteousness that is a gift that is received, but is also intended, look, that gift is intended to be displayed. People should see it in you. It is your testimony and your witness, mine as well. So the first how, then, that Paul gives us is found in verses 5 to 8, and it's all, about, it's all about when you read verse 5 in particular, which we'll see on screen in a second, it's all about this. It's all about the mind, right? It's all about our brains and our thinking. And it's all about are you and I going to be able to choose to go back to living according to the flesh or living according to the Spirit? It's a choice that you and I can make, and it's about 
our minds. Look at verse 5 where it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. So this is what I want to suggest to you goes on almost every day in your life and my life when we wake up. Consciously or unconsciously, you and I are going to make a choice at 7 a.m., if that's your circadian rhythm. Five, whatever it is, you're going to make this choice. We can make the choice to leave our Bibles closed. We can make the choice to spend absolutely zero time in prayer and meditation. And instead, we can grab our phones and we can immediately head off to our newsfeed and COVID updates social media, those podcasters, authors, bloggers, influencers who've apparently figured out this life, even the Christian life, better than we have. And and, and we can choose to submit to ourselves to their wisdom or their lack of wisdom. We can choose to do that. And then, of course, you can choose to grab your day timer, old school for to-do list, (laughs) one of those guys, and make your plans for the day. We can do that. It's, if that's your plan, if that's your pattern, friend, I, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. Chances are very high you are going to live the rest of your day in the flesh. Think about it. What do people who live according to the flesh, which can, which can be Christians too, in this world today do? Asked another way, what do most people want for their life? Simply put, most people want money, right? Not necessarily, you know, filthy wealth, but enough money at least so so that we can uh, afford and and be able to provide for a level of comfort, conveniences, and let's not forget pleasures that this life has to offer. And so think about where we live. People who live here want more and more adrenaline rushes to enjoy the vast experiences that can be found in this capital of outdoor recreation, Hashtag hardwired for adventure. There you go. People want that, and they want, listen, more and more and more pleasure. We've turned our work into an objective to work Monday to Friday. TGIF, more pleasure. So that seems to be, at the end of the day, what this life is all about. We also want to be well thought of, respected, even admired. Some of us too much. So much of this is actually very natural to us. I understand. And some of you might be asking, is that all bad? Is that, does that all fall under the category of according to the flesh? Well, the reality is nothing's actually wrong with many of these things unless that is all that you or I want in life. And so for today, let's maybe see it this way. You can do what I just did. You can, you can look for ways to articulate what it looks like for either those people out there or, or you and I to be living according to the flesh. But let me ask you this question, important today as we continue in this series and as we look at our conclusion is this. Can you do the same with what it looks like to be living according to the Spirit? Can you? That's an important question. And I want you to think about that today. This is what the scripture wants to help us to see, that there's another point of view, which is life living according to the spirit. 
Later in Romans, in chapter 12, Paul uses possibly his best-known therefore. It's is really the beginning of his conclusion to the whole book, where he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. On screen, please. <laughs> I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual act of worship, it should say. He appeals at this point. And then he says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So friends, all of the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And it is the word of God that will transform your mind. Which will lead us to live according to the Spirit. And then, as it says in this text, as you are tested day by day about whether or not you want to fall back into the old ways of living or into the newness of life, you're going to be tested. And through that testing, you will then become better able to discern for yourself what the will of God is and what his good righteous, acceptable, and perfect way is in every situation. You'll learn that for yourself. You do not need, listen to me, outside sources to teach you that. Sure, okay, listen. Hopefully you can hear a good preacher from time to time. Might be helpful. Sure, books are helpful. But it's got to start with you and the Word of God and the Spirit. So the first how-to then is to vigorously listen. Set your mind and set it first and foremost on the Word of God. It's about a mindset. Listen, it's not just about thinking positive thoughts. It's about making a conscious decision to set your mind on this rather than that. So in verses 6 to 8, Paul goes on to say that if we set our minds on the flesh every day, our efforts and life will end up causing us to be functionally dead. But on the other hand, if we set our minds on the spirit well, then there's life and there's peace. And he adds, the mind set on the flesh is both hostile to God because it cannot submit or will not submit to the righteousness and the righteous requirements of the law. And listen, it cannot please God. So friends, to conclude today, may I encourage you this week to do this. Take stock of your walk. It's a new year. It's a new day. The snow has stopped. <laughs> it's sunny out there. Maybe assess that by doing this. Look back at last week and ask yourself, am I at peace with myself, with my life, the way it's going, let alone with God? Am I at peace? Am I growing in my faith and walk? Am I honestly experiencing the Christian life the way that that preacher this morning is saying I should be? It's not just me. It's the Holy Spirit that's saying that. You should be, and that's what he wants for you. Have I tried growing in righteousness and after several times falling back and down, have I given up? Which path am I honestly on? Living on the path of the flesh or on the path of the Spirit? 
Friend, may I encourage you to start fresh right now. Start fresh tomorrow. Don't ever give up. If you're in Christ, don't give up. Lean in. Learn about what it means to experience the life and the liberty that is in the Spirit of God. That's what He wants for you. That's what He wants for me. That's what He wants for our church. That's what He wants for this community. Let's pray to that end.